This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question, would you choose Chosen if you had the chance to choose Chosen? Hi, and welcome to Rotten or Righteous, this brand new podcast that me and my my good friend Scott Judge are recording. I'm Zach Geiler, and we are just two guys that have no idea what they're doing, but somehow we feel entitled to to be able to talk into microphones and then broadcast it uh, out onto the interwebs. How are you doing, Scott? I'm good. I'm good, Zach. Excited to be with you. It's been a while since we've worked jointly on anything like this, and this is going to be a fun, fun podcast as we take a look at different religious movies and uh, determine is it uh, uh, one righteous up or two rotten down, and I'm excited to get going. Let's just answer the question, uh, what are we trying to do here? Scott just touched on it a little bit, but to give a more background uh, uh, picture, we need to understand something about Christian media. It's a multi-million dollar industry. While at the same time, it's regarded uh, by the world as a whole as kind of a joke. Some say the reason that the world sees it this way is because it is faith-based. And that may be true for some of the negative comments and things that people have to say about these Christian movies or television shows, but I don't think that's being fair to the whole picture. There are a lot of quote-unquote Christian movies that have been released that are just, well, bad. They have cheesy stories, terrible writing, bad acting, cheap set design, and all of this comes together to make a genuinely bad movie, book, or television experience. Now, some say, well, at least it's Christian, and so they give these bad films a pass. Basically, they're saying because they don't use swear words or there isn't violent sex or drug use that they are willing to look past everything else and just enjoy the movie for what it is. And on one hand, I can say, okay, that's, that's your opinion. I hear you on that. But on the other hand, why should we settle when we should have solid, good movies? Why is it that we're settling just because a film doesn't have these bad things in it or, or sinful things in it when we should be demanding the quality of these movies to go up. Scott, why do you think we settle? Because it's the only thing we have. There's nobody else doing, uh, um, giving competition to the movies. And there's not a lot of people that want to get involved and be in these movies. And you're absolutely right that so many of them we take a look at and say, well, we don't have all these scenes that are full of sex or full of cursing or drinking or violence. And we say, well, this is a good movie for all of us to watch. And yet you're right. A lot of it is second rate acting. And a lot of it leaves us with a great desire to get more involved into a movie and see what it is that uh, uh, could be developed rather than tore down. And we find so many of these, as we talk about religious movies and scriptural movies, that they base it only on a piece of the scripture. And then there's a lot of the scripture that's left out and forgot. And that's one of the saddest things 
that we take a look at with media and we settle to simply say, well, it's better than nothing. It's all we've got right now. What else would we turn to or what else would we watch? When in some cases, I think there's times in which some of these movies can be more damaging. They can be so away from, from the true story or the realization of what uh, what's in the Bible that uh, there's a false narrative that's placed out there and people don't know what to think. People believe things that aren't true and did not absolutely happen at all. I think I'm starting to notice that as we do this, our different personalities are going to bring different things to the table. Because you said a lot about the scriptural aspects, and while that is important, as just a fan of film, I want a good movie. Yes. I don't I don't mind swearing as long as swearing fits the story. You know what I mean? If I'm watching a war movie and they're all getting shot at in a trench and a guy's head gets blown off next to him in a foxhole and the guy looks at that and goes, well, golly gee willikers, that's, that's going to take me out of the moment. What I want is a good story. And the Bible's mm -hmm. filled with good stories. However, because Christians are willing to settle for bad films, and bad films are, are cheaper to make than good films, that's what we're going to continue to get. Now, there have been a few exceptions to Christian media that has given us really good films. For example, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie a few years ago, it's an excellent film. Cinematography is beautiful. It's very, it's very close to the scriptural narrative that we find of, of Jesus. He doesn't shy away from the agony that Jesus truly endured going to the cross. And then there's been other good films. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Risen. It came out a couple of years ago. Um, it, it, and it added a story to the life uh, or to the days that followed Jesus' resurrection. In it, uh, a character plays a Roman centurion charged with the task of recovering Jesus' body because they were told that it was stolen. And so he is following Jesus' disciples around, or his apostles around, following that. And, and in the, the course of the story of him trying to recover Jesus' body, he sees Jesus appear to Thomas. He sees Jesus uh, cooking breakfast on the side of Galilee, and so on and so forth. So is it biblical? No, there was no Roman centurion that chased Jesus around following the resurrection. But they found a story in that Bible setting, and by doing that, they delivered a very good movie. But mostly, Christian media is successful because they have a built-in audience that's willing to settle for mediocre. Yeah, and, and it's uh, interesting to me to take a look at, in the movie Risen, how there was factual things of Christ Jesus and what he did that others could see. And and uh, there's things that we don't know about who followed him even or if he was followed or what they try to do to try to regain or retain the body, recover the body. Uh, and what a time that would have been. But yet we find that, you know, he did appear to Thomas. He did appear by the Sea of Galilee for breakfast. And those things are important details that we can help know to understand who Jesus is. And because it was engaging and had a good story, more people saw it. Now, I'll give you an example of what could have been a good Christian movie, but because the producers took the cheap way out, I can't watch it because it just is a cheesy cringe fest from the beginning to the end. 
And that movie is the very first God's Not Dead movie. Now, right now there's a bunch of people listening to this that are mad at me already because God Not Dead is is a movie that has excellent apologetics in it. Excellent evidences and arguments for why there is a God. However, all of that apologetics and all of that evidence was packaged in a story that was acted out with near-emotionless actors. A, A cheesy, predictable story. The fact is, movies, TV shows, and books can be excellent tools to bring people to the Lord. However... People that aren't Christian aren't going to go see these movies if they're bad. And if it wasn't for a Christian audience willing to pay money just because the title of the movie was God's Not Dead and they knew that it was going to be a family film, that movie wouldn't have made enough money to generate two sequels. Eventually, down the line, we will have to sit down and I'll have to rewatch God's Not Dead for this podcast. Now I'm kind of regretting that we ever started this. But we will get through this together. Yeah, and there's 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 so many, and I'm sure we'll cover a lot of them. As we're talking about this and, and uh, uh, just bad, bad movies, the movie of Noah, where the tree people uh, came alive to help build the ark. It was the most absurd thing that I've ever seen. Uh, in my life. And then there was actually a, a stowaway that was on the ark during this period of time. And, you know, rather than being religious, it's a fantasy movie. Uh, this based absolutely nothing uh, on, on scripture or on the truth and, and what takes place. And the sad thing is you take a look at, at why we settle. I think sometimes people settle for money's sake uh, to be able to garner income and they're willing to compromise within these movies uh, the, as best they can to get people to come and see them. And yet the end result is something that shouldn't be, as you said, uh, good enough for those that know the truth. And uh, you're right. Movies need to be able to have a good message. Uh, as you said, the Bible is full of stories. There are great, great stories in the Bible that never get told through the media uh, that are just simply amazing and would be fun to watch and fun to consider actors and actresses could, that could be in those situations to bring the Bible to life, and yet they never happen. So how do we find the, how do we find the, the way to bring those things to life in such a way where um, the, the power of God can be seen and not the fakeness of those that that put these put these movies on. The point of this show is that every week Scott and I are going to watch a Christian movie or a television episode or read a book. Then we along with a special guest for the most part don't hold me to that if we can't find anybody or everybody just decides they don't want to talk to us we you know it'll just be us. Uh, are going to review that piece of media. We're going to look at whether or not the movie was scriptural, as accurate as far as the Bible is concerned, but more than that, we're going to ask the question, is whatever we're reviewing good? Are the actors believable? Was the set design distracting? Is the story well written? And then we'll give the piece of media a rating on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, one to five would garner a rotten rating for the the what whatever the piece of media is. 
while 6-10 to 10 would be a righteous. And I don't know why anyone would base their decisions on what they're going to watch, read, or, or see in a theater based on our uh, opinions. But if you want to, that's basically it. Rotten? Eh, pass it. Maybe see it whenever it shows up on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. Righteous? It might make a good movie. All right, Scott, in preparation for this podcast, I did a little bit of research on why it is that I have a problem with Christian movies. <laughs> now, you know me. I'm, I'm normally very agreeable, and I'm super unopinionated. Um, What's the so, first thing I noticed about you when I met, when we met? Because this guy is just docile as can be. Yeah, easy and, to get along with and really has no opinions. <laughs> No, I think the real reason why is that we're doing this podcast is because I have too many opinions and they don't belong on a pulpit. So I have to get them out somewhere or I'm going to die of an aneurysm. But I was looking around online and I came across a website called Odyssey. And uh, a person wrote an article that's titled Six Major Problems with Christian Movies. And then their subtitles what caught my attention. Are we lowering our standards a little too much? Now, I found this after I wrote that introduction. And so, I just want to go through this list of six really quick and and see what you think of them. See if you agree with them or not. Number one, and I hadn't really thought about this until I read through this article, but atheists are always the bad guys. Yes. I find that that's interesting. That's, yeah. You see, and and that's just one of the ways that I, I think Christian media doesn't portray real life that well. Mm-hmm. Some of the nicest people that I've met are, are, are not believers. They're not mm-hmm. bad people. I don't believe that they're they're saved. I don't believe that they're right in their beliefs, but... By making atheists always the antagonist in a film, aren't we alienating uh, any non-believers who might come to these movies? Mm-hmm. And now yeah. I have some of the worst people I've ever met. Are Christians? Are Christians, or at least see themselves as Christians. And so, I agree with that. I, I think that is a problem, and, and it may be a bigger problem than what I realize, because like I said, I'm not that well-versed in Christian media. Mm-hmm. Um the last movie I saw that was faith-based was a, that terrible Exodus movie that Ridley Scott made yeah. about five, seven, well, however many years ago. Uh, number two, and I agree with this absolutely, they're incredibly cheesy. Yes, they can be. They can be. My favorite example of this is at the end of the first God Not, God's Not Dead movie. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, the atheist professor dies, and then he says a little prayer, and magically he's saved, and then the very next scene, they go to a Christian rock concert. Yes. I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. It's 100% true. I mean, <laughs> talk about being being cheesy or disconnected from your audience. Why the... <laughs> Why? Right after the professor dies. Are you at a rock concert? Are you going to a rock concert? I mean, 
way, way to take any of the dramatic tension that you may have built from that scene and just mm-hmm. flush it down the toilet because mm-hmm. you had to put in some Christian rock band in the end in order to get people to come see your movie or to say that they're in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> the dramatic scene is now over. And if these movies are ever going to be taken seriously by critics, which would get non-Christians into the doors of these movies, they can't be so cheesy. You have to be taken seriously. Um, I don't know about this one, but number three says they promote unchristian ideals to make Christianity more relatable. Her example was a popular scene in God's Not Dead, for example, shows a character's elderly, senile grandmother stating that sometimes Satan lets people live easy lives so they will not turn to God. This idea is incredibly false when viewed in light of Satan. Satan does not have nearly that much power over humans and certainly doesn't have more power than God. I think that they, 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 I don't know. Like I said, I haven't watched that many movies. I'm sure once we're 15, 20 episodes into this thing, I can make a better judgment. Speak more clearly to that, yeah. But, it's interesting, too, that, that uh, because Satan doesn't have more power than God, but we know that Satan is powerful. Right. Here in this world. Um, but do you think Satan makes people's lives easy to keep them away from God? <laughs> See, I would think it would be the opposite. I do, too. I do, too. Because I don't know, but that that could be the case because there are a yeah. lot of people that have very easy lives that are not faithful. So who knows? Yeah. We'll, and how we'll do you out. how do you how do you define an easy life? And that it's the other thing with that question. What does an easy life mean? Um, I think I have an easy life because I love what I do, and even though I work really hard, it doesn't seem hard because I'm enjoying it and loving loving to do the things that I do. So, um, is my life easy? Yeah. In many ways. Um, but, um, it's because I enjoy, I enjoy what it is that, that I'm doing day in and day out. That's interesting, uh, that that's, that's on there because I know a lot of people that have had, uh, again, I get back to the idea. How do you define an easy life? What is an easy life? Uh, does that mean you've fallen into riches? Does that mean that you have uh, uh, always just kind of had things handed to you or you get the breaks all the time or, or, uh, you know, and the thing is, I know of nobody that's had perfect ease within their life. They've always had something that has come up that's challenged them physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually. Um, so that's going to be fun for us to explore going forward. I think with this idea of an easy life. And then the idea of fame and riches is what is, causing people to turn away from God or turn to Satan. Yes, it. the Bible tells us very clearly that it's easier for a rich man to go through an eye of the needle than it is to enter heaven, but to say that if you are wealthy, then you are just inherently incapable of feeling pain or sorrow or turning to God, I don't think is, is really fair. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And one thing as you were talking that came to my mind was Robin Williams, who killed himself a few years ago. Yeah, You know, you look at that man, he was famous, he was talented, he had money, and inside he was suffering. Yeah. You know, to, to, to just say, or to judge that someone's life is easy is something that we should be careful just as, as people, as Christians, not even dealing with um, media or movies and stuff. It's really easy to say, well, they have money, they're popular, so they must be happy, and... Mm-hmm. 
maybe that would cause us to, to turn our backs or, or turn our minds off or, or just cause us to ignore them. And when in reality, they're suffering even more than, than we are. And what we can imagine. Yeah. Robin Williams, Robin Williams is a great example of that, you know, Jim Carrey, I'll just throw this in real quick. You know, he, he suffers from depression. You would think he's the happiest man on earth. So certainly somebody that loves what he does. Uh, yeah, but, you know, Dumb and Dumber 2 came out. That's <laughs> Number four, I agree with, they are often poorly funded, resulting in a lack of quality. Yes. Yes. Moving on. They always start with a voiceover. Once again, I don't know. I don't know enough about Christian movies, but I'm sure, you know, six months from now when we're really hating ourselves for sticking <laughs> to this, and I'll go back and think of that and go, yep. Yep, it and be pretty accurate. Number six, they are marketed directly towards Christians. Well, I, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And then they bring up again, God's Not Dead. God's Not Dead gets kind of raked over the coals in this article, and I don't feel that bad for God's Not Dead. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you're, you're making a movie that's about Christian apologetics. Mm -hmm. You're making a movie about an atheistic professor who is slowly coming to terms with the fact that there is a God. That's great, but why... Not saying that Christians don't need that message, but I don't need that message as badly as an atheist or an mm -hmm. agnostic. So to make these movies and their trailers and whatnot to only look or only target the Christian audiences is a mistake. Because again, we're not going to be getting better movies or taken seriously until we can draw non-believers into the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's interesting too, Zach, because you think about when we hear uh, uh, Noah, you know, well, we've heard Noah all our lives. That's something we talk about often. So, you know, just the fact that we hear that, we're going to go, oh, I want to go see that. Or God's not dead. Something that we are constantly thinking about or something constantly in touch with. But I think that's a good question is how do we, um, and I use that term loosely, we, but how does the media um, that wants to get a message out where there is hope that's giving to those that don't believe in God? What is it they do to attract them to come and see something that would be helpful? And that's a, that's a marketing issue there. And you think about Christians, uh, they live in that, not necessarily the marketing world, but they live the verbiage of that in the marketing world because it's something they deal with every day. You know, there's names in the Bible, the Bible, the, the characters, the stories. Whereas it's not going to be that big of an appeal to somebody that maybe didn't spend their entire life being brought up in Bible school. Uh, so when they see uh, the story of Noah, they're not going to be as uh, struck by it. They're not going to be as excited to go see it because their knowledge isn't going to be that big. But that's a that's an interesting point with something that has to be done to resolve itself if these movies are to ever do a better job with help leading other people to the faith and that moves us on to our first piece of media that we are going to discuss and we're going to be discussing this for the next eight weeks not counting this week so 
Strap in, big boy. It's going to be a long ride. I got my seatbelt on. What we have chosen to watch is, well, The Chosen. I didn't even mean to make that pun, but I'm proud of it. And The Chosen, (laughs) if you didn't know, Scott, is a television drama based on the life of Jesus Christ. Created, directed, and co-written by American filmmaker Dallas Jenkins. You may know his brother, Leroy. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Leroy Jenkins! I'm sorry, Dallas. According to Wikipedia, the series creators stated that they hope to distinguish the new series from previous portrayals of Jesus by crafting a multi-season episode-based story. The series portrays Jesus through the eyes of those who met him. Now, I don't know if you know Dallas Jenkins, but you probably have heard of his father or at least... Um, some of the things that his father has done. Dallas Jenkins' father is the author of the incredibly popular Left Behind books, which to me is my first red flag about whether or not this series is going to be any good. Is Dallas Jenkins going to insert a whole bunch of his father's premillennialist doctrine because that's what left behind is it's about a group of people after the rapture happens that are surviving on earth during the thousand year millennial or millennia until jesus comes again so that is i don't know i i don't know we'll have to see whether or not that comes into play but to say that that is not a red flag is yeah it kind of gives you a preconceived notion about what the film may be like already. Yeah, so, I mean, we will see uh, what's going on. Now, I've seen this on their website, on IMDb, on everywhere that I've looked up cho- or looked up uh, anything about The Chosen. And they really want us to know that The Cho- Chosen is the first ever multi-season show about the life of Christ. Which is great. That means they're at least going to take their time and go through Mm -hmm. this. But another thing that's kind of cool about it is that it is crowdfunded. It's Mm -hmm. produced by uh, Pure Flix, which is... They they put out all those cheesy Christian movies, so second red flag right there. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, each episode has been created by crowdsourcing. Now, you can watch this series for free on YouTube, which is what we're going to do. The trade-off being is that Dallas Jenkins will pop up in um, in the episode and ask us for money. Not personally. That'd be terrifying. Can you imagine that? Just sitting in your living room, watching an episode of The Chosen. Next thing you know, <laughs> uh, a millennial dude in a shirt and sweater that says, Binge Jesus. I've seen that so many times. That's red flag number three, is that he's wearing a sweatshirt that says Binge Jesus on it. Um, <laughs> if he popped up in your living room, he's like, hey, you want to give me some money? Now, no, if it's, if it's very asking. good, I will make this promise. If the series is very good, mm-hmm. I will go back and buy, the, buy it from the website. Mm-hmm. They have a $50 package where you buy it, 
and then you can share it, the series with like 10 people or something like that. Yeah. If yeah. the series is very good, I if. have no problem supporting this second season. But that's a big if. I'm not going to give mm-hmm. my money to them until I know what they're doing. Yep. So you can watch them for free on YouTube, which is what we are going to do. As a matter of fact, if you look down in the show notes or in the, the description, if you're on Facebook, there'll be a link to next week's episode so you can watch this series as we go through it. Now, I do also want to say that I have not seen it. I haven't even heard of it until last week when my dad called me and asked me if I ever saw it, and that's what inspired this entire endeavor. So I, I have no idea what I'm, I'm getting into. So it'll be a journey for me, and I don't know, Scott, have you watched this before? or No, no. I've seen two of the trailers, but I haven't okay. seen any episodes yet, and uh, I'm anxious for the trailers uh, uh, to even talk a little bit about those with uh, what we saw in there. But I'm looking forward to going through it and uh, uh, going through it with my Bible beside me as well. Well, Scott, you said it, and a segue just isn't a weird vehicle to get around Washington, D.C. by tourists wearing socks with their uh, sandals. <laughs> that was bad. It's okay. You know what else is cheesy besides Christian movies? This podcast. But it's, that's okay. It's, but it's going to work. If you like Christian movies, then you like cheese. And if you like cheese, just, like call, me, just call me pre-wrapped American singles because I'm here for you. <laughs> But as Scott mentioned, we did watch the two trailers for Chosen. They have an official trailer that I assume was put out earlier, and then one after the first season was finally over. Because apparently, and I could be wrong about this, I didn't look that much into it, um, the first four episodes came out in 2017 while the last half of the season didn't come out until 2019 because they needed more funding. Because, like I said, this is the biggest crowdsourced uh, uh, television show ever. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and just dive into the um, the first trailer. Excuse me. I have something for you. For me. Throw this down for a catch. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. is incredible. Everything that grows here is immaculate. Except for the people. You're such a miserable lot. You worship one God, and yet you're all divided. Only one language keeps their peace. None to speak it. You are the great Nicodemus. I serve only God. Yes. Yes, so do your enemies. Rogue preachers in the wilderness raving about a coming Messiah. Sam. You're scared. I've lost everything. Burned every bridge. If I don't catch a ton of fish or get some help somehow, they'll arrest me. I'm trapped. 
No more talking, Simon. Maybe God can get your attention now. Why? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. I saw him. It was incredible. You have experienced a miracle. You are healed. What do you want from me? Follow me. He performs miracles and seeks no credit? Who did this? I don't know his name. His time for men to know has not yet come. We've, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Anything is possible now. Don't you see? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> So that was the first Chosen trailer, I believe. I don't even know what I just watched. Yeah, Chosen, the official trailer, three minutes and 40 seconds long. And because this is an audio podcast, I imagine that there have been, uh, are there some people that, that, well, had no idea what was happening for a lot of that because there was a lot of epic music. Mm -hmm. So let's just walk through this really quick. Now, I didn't take notes for this entire... I don't know how well this is going to work, Scott, because my attention span lasted to about a minute 20 in taking notes yeah. earlier today before I stopped. Yeah. So we're just going to do our best here. Uh, it opens on a boat. Now, I'm assuming that this is the miracle of the fish in the net when Jesus called uh, uh, Peter. Mm-hmm. They're all yeah. tired because they've been fishing all night without any fish. And Jesus tells them to put their net back in the water. And the guy that I assume is Peter says, I don't have a quarrel with you, but I really don't want to put my net in to the water. Then Jesus gives him a, oh, what kind of look would you call that? A. It, it, it was, it was the looks from Peter, the one portraying Peter and the one portraying, portraying Jesus that really I took note of because the look that came from Peter is if you've studied Peter, if you've read about Peter, uh, it's the look I would have expected to see from Peter. It was, it was, uh, it was almost like throw the net in and then, yeah, see, nothing's happened, and kind of a little bit of smugness that, that he was right, and uh, Jesus kind of gave that back to him. Um, that caught my eye when I when I watched that. The other thing out of that particular scene is Jesus said, uh, "Throw down your nets for a catch." I thought that's interesting terminology. And I turned over to Luke uh, in Luke five in the account of this. And Jesus said in Luke five and four, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And to me, that's an interesting way to say that for a catch. Uh, but that caught my, that caught my ear when I, when I watched that, uh, I found that interesting, that interaction that took place with them right there. 
No, I mean, yeah, it was, it was very well played. And so Peter is skeptical, but he puts his net in the water, and the water begins to boil. And then there's like 15 flash cuts, just fast scenes of people. And yeah. I actually went through this, and this is probably why I got bored and stopped taking notes. But I went through there and paused and wrote down every single scene that was in that flash cut sequence. Mm-hmm. The very first thing that we see is a man in a pottery store leaning over a counter to talk to a dark-haired woman. Members of the high priest were looking aghast. Men looking surprised on uh, or as are on the shore of a lake mending their nets. Men in a white robe sh- or a man in a white robe shoves another man in a dark robe as he was trying to run away. Roman soldiers are on horseback. Then we see a boy standing next to a chimney, some more skeptical fishermen losing his balance on the boat, a pretty woman looking at something off screen, two dudes sitting at a table, a man looking exasperated in front of a Roman, then we see another Roman, a woman in uh, uh, the dark laying down, she looks like she's sad or in some sort of pain, then we see a hand, and then we see cup, a cup hitting the dirt. So... There's a lot of uh, people that are going to do a lot of things in this series. That's my first official prediction. (laughs) You ain't lying. (laughs) Then we see a, after the VidAngel Studios title card, we see a fade-in on a white carriage being pulled and guarded by men in white robes through a field of wheat. Now, in that moment, all I could think of was, whoever's in that carriage probably isn't very good, only because we just saw that the Romans had horses. Why are people carrying this? Car- That's not a fast way to get around, Scott. No, not at all. Not at all. Then I'll be we- anxious to see that. I'll be anxious to see that scene in in the uh, in the show in the movie as we get to it. And then we uh, fade in on what I assume. I don't know who this guy's supposed to be. Is he supposed to be Pilate? Is he supposed to be some unnamed antagonist that we'll find out later? But there's this sinister bald dude who is looking out a window and he just talks about how great the fruit grows where he's at. And and Mm -hmm. what I assume he's talking about Judea or Israel. And a young boy approaches the sinister bald man and then the sinister bald man immediately turns around to the, the young man and insults the people saying that they worship one God but they are divided. Now, mm-hmm. I uh, suddenly know why that quote's in there. Obviously, I don't know if they're going for a universalist take here, trying to say, you know, there's 150 denominations, and we all worship the same God, but we're all divided. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. I assume anybody that's going to wear a Binge Jesus t-shirt probably doesn't have the best doctrine in the entire world. Yeah, it'll um, be interesting to see that episode too. To to that's just the thing with the tease. There's so many questions that one's left. Of course, that's why they want to get you to to watch the watch the show. If we ever do a commercial for this podcast, we should tell people the ending. We shouldn't tease about anything. Just anything straight just, to the ending. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then uh, we fade into a Roman that pulls his sword. And then he puts his sword away after what I think two Israelites or two Jews kill one another or one kills the other. 
the only other thing that I notice is there is a lot of what I presume to be Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Which, where are they going to go with that? And I, I've seen this happen in other shows about Jesus. But correct me if I'm wrong, besides a short statement of Jesus casting out the demons and saying that she followed him, mm-hmm. and being with Mary um, when they go to the tomb, mm-hmm. the Bible does not highlight Mary Magdalene as much as the people that are trying to show the Bible on screen highlight yes. Mary Magdalene. Yes. Why do you suppose that is? Because everybody likes a love interest, and Jesus Mm -hmm. doesn't have a love interest. So even if it's not uh, uh, trying to say that Mary and Jesus had some sort of relationship with one another... People are trying to push that. Either that or they just need diversity in the story, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um. But but then again, you're 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 reading a story historically that is about twelve men and their interactions with another man. Mm-hmm. I get that in 2020 we need to have diversity of the sexes and whatnot on film, but I don't think you should shoehorn a female character and make her a main character when that's not Mary Magdalene's role in the gospel accounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think in movies too, everybody wants to know, you know, who's, who's the love interest, you know, because that drives, that drives the movie so many times. Well, in the life of Christ, the love interest is, is, is love for the people and is dying upon the cross. Right. That's the greatest love that, that people need to, push that rather than anything else. But it'll be interesting to see as we move through the show to see what comes of that. Absolutely. And another thing I noticed about this trailer is everybody cries at one point. Mm-hmm. Why? Just, I don't know. I mean, some of them look like happy tears. Some look like sad tears. But literally every person that is on the screen, except for Jesus, I didn't see a Jesus crying scene, mm-hmm. but everybody is crying. You see what they've done, Zach? They've roped us in. We're right. going to have to watch the first episode now. Well, we're already going to have to watch the first episode. I, I I've already spent way too much money on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I will say this, though. I appreciate that Jesus is not a Caucasian looking person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I never, yeah. I, di- I didn't see a single, for lack of better terms, white person in that entire mm-hmm. trailer. Yes. Yes. And that does appear something, at least from the, uh, from the trailers that they've gotten right. Yeah. For the, I mean, for the time, for the time period and who the people would have been. I mean, yeah, Jesus was, a Middle Eastern man. He should mm-hmm. look Middle Eastern. This Middle idea Eastern. of a sandy, blonde-haired, white guy with blue eyes is nothing but a fabrication because because back when the Catholic Church was, was prevailing their doctrine around, they didn't want to imagine their Savior as any other race other than white, other than Caucasian. Yes. And so it's good to see that, that media is finally catching up with the truth that Jesus looked like a Middle Eastern. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I think they casted yes. Jesus well. I, I did notice there's a lot of facial expressions. They're giving Jesus a personality. You can see that mm-hmm. from just the, the trailer, which I like too, because uh, we we know what Jesus did for us. We know what Jesus... You know, we think of Jesus sitting on the right hand of God up in heaven and everything, mm-hmm. but we, we never... Uh, or sometimes we neglect the fact that Jesus was a human being, that yeah. he had emotions, that he had yeah, fun. He had that... Sadness, anger, you know, uh, uh, when he when he kind of took a look at Peter and went, you know, gave that look right, right there and cast the net. Yeah. Uh, like, well, Scott, let me uh, remind you, and I'm not going to take this out because this is going to be funny. Scott just made a face that you can't see, dear listeners. Because this is a podcast that's audio. <laughs> so when you <laughs> So when you said Jesus made a face like this, I want you to imagine whatever face you want to imagine for Mr. Judge. Hey, that that's moment. great. Because you know, in truth, this works out well because my face isn't much to look at. So Well no, why do you think we're doing audio? I yeah, shaved my yeah. beard last week and I, I look like an egg. So <laughs> Like the young, like the young boy that you are. So, so it, it's going to be interesting to to see how they develop these characters as we go through this show as well. Right. And I already get the impression, and and you alluded to this earlier, um, with the Roman centurion that was to go find the body of Jesus, and mm-hmm. how from his perspective there was a little insight. There's obviously going to be some of that that comes up through these shows as well that there will be liberties that will be taken with some of the script and, and some of the plot with, um, with what they do, what they say and where they go. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that develops um, in this, to see exactly what they do in time, particularly in between times of when we have a count of them, uh, scripturally speaking. And uh, you know, that, that is the thing is we don't know for sure because we don't have a written account but it's going to be interesting to see what the perspective is going to be of those that write the show um, to see what it is that they're doing during that period of time and how those characters will be portrayed. Um, Did you recognize any of the actors that you saw? No, I did not. Oh, you telling me you didn't recognize Eric Avari? Uh, Which one was she or he Eric? Eric, you know, with the names nowadays, I'm sure somewhere out there, there's a poor little girl who's named Eric. But no, this is a a very old Middle Eastern man. Um, Is this the one that played Nicodemus? Yes. Yeah, who, where have I seen him before? He has been in a ton of stuff. It's, he's the only one I recognize. The rest of them, I look through their IMDB pages, and uh, I really, I I don't know them from anything. But... Mm -hmm. Eric Avari has been, he was in The Mummy. He played okay. Dr. Terrence Bay in The Mummy. That's where I knew him from first. Uh, he was also, well, he also voiced, you're not going to know this, but he was a voice in Destiny 2, the video game. He's been in everything. He's been in uh, Madam Secretary, The Mentalist, NCIS Los Angeles. Okay. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew he looked familiar. And to me, Zach... He's going to be one of the characters playing Nicodemus, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how they develop him right. in this show. And because good you know, and that's a good point because I did bring up the fact that that there was a lot of Mary Magdalene 
mm-hmm. but there was just as much Nicodemus. Uh, yeah, again, Nicodemus yes. is a central character, and he shows up maybe just as much mm-hmm. as Mary Magdalene shows up in yes. the Bible. So I don't want to be prejudiced towards Mary Magdalene, although she shows mm-hmm. up too much in everything I've ever seen, Passion of the Christ onward. But but yeah, there was he was in there a lot too. So I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and I just I just want to say real quick too with Nicodemus, how they portrayed him in that trailer, with some of the knowledge that he had and the knowledge that others had of him that he would have worked alongside. And that was never my impression going through the scriptures that that there would have been a lot that would have known uh, uh, what he was doing. And that's why he went to Jesus at night uh, to talk, to talk to Jesus. Then let's move on and watch the second trailer. And then we will, I don't know, I guess we'll give our ratings for the trailers. Don't sigh too much. Okay. I'm going to tell everyone. (laughs) I was counting on it. <laughs> My son, they've run out of wine. Mother, my time has not yet come. If not now, when? Father. It has begun. What has? Miracles. Signs and wonders. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You have experienced a miracle, Mary. I saw him. It was incredible. Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven. Who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The man has a following. He's a rogue who answers to no one. You asked me before if I knew his name. Now everyone knows his name. And I fear for his safety. Throw this down for a catch. Do you think that impossible things can happen? That overturn the laws of nature? (laughs) That cannot be explained? Rise. son of Alpheus. Yes. This is different. Get used to different. My whole life I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, Nicodemus, and you'll see more. God loves the world in this way. He gave his only son. I'm going to tell everyone. (laughs) I was counting on it. Anything is possible now. Don't you see? 
I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. All right, that was the second official trailer of the television show, The Chosen. Now, unlike the first one, I've got some problems with this one. As do I. First and foremost, it basically opens up with Jesus at the wedding in Cana, where he performs his first miracle. And they get it right up until... They, they get it right when Mary comes to him and says, we've run out of wine, and Jesus is saying that it's not my time yet. My time has not yet come. And then Mary says, if not now, then when? So... Am I supposed to infer that the only reason why Jesus began his ministry when he did is because Mary gave him permission to? Mm-hmm. And that's obviously a <clears throat> liberty. Oh, that's more than that a liberty. These, that these writers would have taken. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not liberty. That's probably a bad word for that. But that's not, that's not accurate to the scripture at all. No, no, the, the when Jesus said, woman, uh, What's the you got your Bible there? What's the actual? Yeah, I do. I'm looking at it now. In in John chapter two and verse four, says Jesus said to her, "Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come." That that first saying, I was just studying this for a Bible class last Sunday. That first saying, "Woman, what does your concern have to do with me?" Joseph, Jesus' father, at this point in time is probably dead. He's been dead for a Mm -hmm. while, which under uh, first century. Middle Eastern customs means that Jesus was the head of the house. And so Mm -hmm. Mary has probably been relying on her son to take care of a lot of her problems ever since Joseph died. And so this is the first time, it seems, that Jesus tells his mom, no. It's not Mary saying, it's your time, go out there and do all your stuff. This Mm -hmm. is Jesus reminding his mom that, listen, I've been with you I've been taking care of you. I've been doing everything you said for 30 years. But you need to remember what the Holy Spirit told you back in the beginning, back when he came, that that I wasn't here to be your son forever, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I've belonged to you for 30 years, but now I belong to everyone else. Yeah. And so <clears throat> by having Mary, in my opinion, by having Mary come in there and say, uh, it's not your time, then when, that underplays the fact that in that instance, Jesus was not being pushed into ministry by his mom, but rather he was pushing his mom away from him at that mm-hmm. moment in time. Not to be rude or, or harsh, but that's what was going on. And so mm-hmm. I, I think they underplayed that just in the... And maybe it plays out differently in the show. I don't know. But that right there, that yeah. that, that stood out to me. That little, Yeah, that little that little snippet is, is, not, is not accurate. Right. Not accurate. So and how and how that played out. So, and it, that's part of that's part of the issue too. You get some things that are partially right, and then there's right. something that's a miss uh, that can really change the context of, of what it is that's going on. Now, I'm not saying that that one mistake is going to sink the whole series to me. Do I think that they're mm-hmm. going to get everything scripturally right from start to the end? No, absolutely not. And there has to be some room for liberties taken when you're trying to take the gospel account, which was not written as a screenplay, was not written to be acted out by people, and trying to flesh it into a story. All right, There's got to be 
you got to give some leeway, you know? Maybe mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene's story is what's going on behind the scenes, you know? Mm-hmm. Where how how they're they're imagining how Mary would react to her healing. If that's the case, I yeah. have no problem with that. But I do mm-hmm. have a problem when you're taking stories and narratives that we have written down and twisting them and yes. taking away the power of of that mm-hmm. narrative. Yeah. Yeah, definitely there's going to have to be liberties taken within the show of what we don't know. Um, but you can't take the liberties of what we do know because what we do know is factual. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that this trailer has that's different than the first one, and I'm not going to go through this scene by scene because they use a lot of the same scenes from the first one. And mm-hmm. uh, the only difference is the dialogue uh, is expanded in some of these scenes. But what this second trailer had that the first trailer didn't have is a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of kids, which I don't have a problem with. Jesus used children on s- several occasions to use his point. Or to make his point, what I do have a problem is, is Jesus reciting the Lord's Prayer with a bunch of kids around him. Yeah, that doesn't seem to play out according to, you know, we see this, we see the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which where we see the Lord's Prayer come in in chapter 6. But, you know, in chapter 5, and verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he came, he was seated, and his disciples came to him. And then we know that Jesus... Um, begin to preach this this great great sermon, um, and we come over to chapter six. He, he begins talking about praying and how to pray, not to be like the hypocrites. But he he states these things: "Oh Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come." So, you know, we don't find scripturally speaking uh, where Jesus would have been in front of the children doing that at all in, in, in any place. Uh, and you're right to say that so many times he spoke. Two children spoke about children. Matter of fact, he said, unless we become like children, we can no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, but yeah, that that also struck that also struck me as well. And then later on in the I, I do like the line, though, although it's not scriptural, but where after he heals, I'm assuming again this is Mary Magdalene. Uh that she says, I'm going to tell everyone. And uh, Jesus responds, well, I'm counting on it. Yeah. You know, I, I really like that. Yes, there are times when Jesus told people not to say anything because he was getting too popular too fast and it was getting difficult to go into cities and whatnot. But the point of these miracles, one of the points of the miracles, first of all, a miracle is to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. But two, he did these miracles to get word spread. He needed to get his gospel message to as many mm-hmm. people as possible. And so I thought that was kind of cool. That was a little bit of a, a redeeming uh, quality to that one. Mm-hmm. And I'll be anxious to see exactly, ho- hopefully we get uh, a little more information on exactly when that was as well. Um, uh, you know, for, for what, in, what, what instance that was. Um, a lot of these are kind of hard to tell just seeing that, that little snippet or that little clip uh, to know exactly what it was. You thought of Mary Magdalene in that. Um, of course, it would have been the same actor, though. When that happened, I, th- I was thinking about the Samaritan woman at the well. And, uh, you know, we know the great converts that came uh, following that because she left, she left the mountain and went and told the town. Later on, what you said... Um... <laughs> He is clearly talking to the actor that's playing Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. 
And he says, follow me and you will see more amazing things than these. This, that quote is attributed not to Nicodemus, but that is a quote to Nathaniel, who is mm-hmm. probably Bartholomew. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm thinking that from that, I'm going to assume that, that Nicodemus takes on a more apostleship role in this series. That's that's yeah, and that's that's one of the things I'd mentioned earlier. It's going to be interesting to see how how his role in all this plays out. And I tried to look up real quick, and I, I need to um, I need to go look all these verses up uh, just to make sure. But initially, on a quick look up, it looks like Nicodemus is mentioned in John three one through twenty one, where he comes to Jesus at night and says that he has to be. Jesus tells him that he has to be born. Uh, has to be born again. Then also a second time in John 7, 50 and 51, Nicodemus uh, tells the Sanhedrin that the law requires that a person be heard before being judged. And then finally in John 19, 39 through 42, um, uh, that he's he's mentioned there. And we don't see, you know, to my knowledge, we don't see anything else. Uh, regarding Nicodemus and uh, you know, it's already in the trailers. He's had several appearances and uh, I'm wondering what they're going to do with his character, uh, particularly since he was so, uh, so little of him is mentioned in the Bible, you know, great things, great things of of Nicodemus uh, are are mentioned, not him of his person, but the learning that comes um, from the time that he's uh, time that he shows up. But just not a lot of not a lot of volume. And then the only other thing that really stood out to me in that second trailer was, uh, again, I have to take a guess at who's saying these things, but I'm assuming this is the temple leadership that refers to Jesus in just a very quick soundbite that he is a rogue who answers to no one. Yeah, that right there gives me. That gives me. Uh, that gives me a good feeling that that they're going to get the attitudes of the Roman or of the the temple, the Sanhedrin, the rulers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spiritual rulers at that time, right? Yeah. That what was their true motivation behind Jesus? It wasn't that Jesus was teaching a different doctrine than them, but rather it was Jesus not answering to them. They mm-hmm. needed to preserve their power. They didn't yep. care about doctrine. If they did, they wouldn't have murdered the Messiah. Mm-hmm. What they cared about was making sure that they continued to be the yeah. in, in power. In power, uh, yeah, yeah. To to have that to have that prestige along with uh, who they were, uh, and, and really the other the, the profit. Man, they made a lot of profit from doing what they'd done. Um, you know, they're they're in the temple. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. They weren't well versed uh, in, uh, or what wasn't where they should have been as far as the uh, God's word was concerned. And brother Zach, as you mentioned that, we talked a little while ago about uh, um, the the Roman the Roman um, authority that had said, um, "You all serve one God, but you're so um, divided." The word, divided. Uh, and one of the things I thought of that actually just came, I thought a little bit of it before, but just kind of came to me. I wonder if that's because there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, um, all the division that would have taken place among the viewpoints with them. 
Um, and that's something that's something that hopefully we'll see as we move through this. Well, we will see. All right, Scott. So the only last thing we need to do before we wrap up this inaugural episode is to give these two trailers a rating. And so when we're just talking about the first trailer, uh, on a scale of one to ten, where are you putting that first trailer? I'm going to say a 6.5. I'm uh, anxious to see where we're going from here. I saw some positive things, but there was also a couple that uh, give me a little negative feeling. So, But I'll, I'll say a 6.5 right now. Okay. I am going to give it an 8. Okay. And the reason being, they got Jesus to look like a Middle Eastern man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no glaringly distracting uh, poor set design. Everything looked real. Mm-hmm. Everything was filmed uh, high quality. And it looked like a big budget cinematic historical trailer that you would see mm-hmm. from like Ridley Scott's Gladiator or something. Yeah. It, it caught my attention. It made me want to ask questions. It made me want to watch the show. Okay, so for the first trailer, you gave it a 6.5. I gave it an 8. That's about an average of 7 and a quarter. So we can make uh, the first trailer and our first review of The Chosen. Well, the first trailer is righteous, according to our parameters. It falls into that. So that being said... Let's move on to the second trailer. Now, I will go first for the second trailer. Okay. I'm giving it a two. I mean, it... Yes, and I'm only giving it a two because of the fact that it looked good and sounded good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I, the, the quotes that they used, although you couldn't obviously hear them, they put up quotes of people who said certain things about it. Uh, one that that just annoys me. I don't know why. I get chills every time I see this. It, it, it's trailer. I'm sure you're talking about the show, but I immediately gave that quote uh, over to them talking about the trailer, and that made me laugh and took me away from the mood that they were trying to give. Um, so there was some cheese there that I didn't like, so I'd take some points off from that. Um, Mary convincing Jesus to do the first miracle... No, didn't like that at all. Attributing a quote that was made to Nathaniel uh, by Jesus to a completely different person, uh, Nicodemus. It makes me wonder if they're even going to have all 12 apostles in it or whether or not Nicodemus is going to step in and be some unnamed apostle. And I'm taking away a lot of points because at the end of each of these trailers, although we're not recording it or sharing it to you, the director gets up and says some things about it. And in every single thing that I've seen him in, he is wearing a sweatshirt that says, Binge Jesus on the front of it. And I could just not abide that. I cannot abide that. So, the first one, I'm giving it a two. Scott? I'm giving that one a four. And uh, really for the same reasons that you had given it. The the, uh, first miracle that Jesus performed, they did not get the whole thing accurate. There was part of it that was accurate. There was part of it 
we know that there is a biblical time that uh, uh, that Mary came to Jesus and Jesus said, it's not yet my time. Um, but we find following that, that doesn't seem to show accuracy within the scripture. The other thing is Nicodemus. And I know I've mentioned him uh, uh, several times in our, in our podcast today. And uh, I'm very anxious going forward, but what we see with him, uh, with, uh, with Jesus talking to him, it's not accurate. I can't find it. And already in the trailers, he, he, he's appeared more than in the, tra- in the trailers than he has in the Bible, um, which uh, what kind of liberty are they going to take with him and what are they going to do with him? You're right. I wonder, will they try to make him an apostle? I, I don't I don't know. Um, and uh, uh, but yeah, that, that was not was not impressed. Uh, was not impressed at all with that. But yeah, one of those one of those merits. I'm going to give the second one that we watched today a four. Um, I think it's rotten, and uh, I think that uh, um, they've got some work to do as far as telling the accuracy of the story. Now, I do want to go on and, and say something that you touched on. The actors look real. Uh, the setting looks pretty good. Um, I've been impressed with some of the acting that I've seen. It, it seems it comes across as believable. Um, but I know where I'm going to struggle is when we see the inaccuracies uh, within what's being said. But um, it definitely has left me with something that I want to watch more of. And uh, I want to see how these characters are going to play out and what they're going to do with um, with Jesus throughout his ministry. Yeah, I agree with you there, and you actually just convinced me to, I'm, I'll give it a 4-2. I don't want to give it too much of a good thing, but mm-hmm. also I don't want our averages to make these two trailers rotten overall. So if I yeah. give it a 4, then that puts it at an average of 6, which means that it is barely, barely righteous, because it is intriguing. It wasn't mm-hmm. as glaringly bad that I deserve that, or that I think that these two trailers deserve to be called rotten across the board. You know, mm-hmm. they've got some work to do. They're teetering right there on the edge between rotten or righteous. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of good things happening in these two trailers. I don't think they deserve the blanket of of the rotten rating. You know, yeah. And that may change, but for now, uh, we'll say that these two trailers combined average together to be six. They are stamped with the Rotten or Righteous Podcasts Righteous Stamp for now. But Dallas Jenkins, if you ever listen to this, take off that sweatshirt and put it in a fire pit and burn it because it's horrible. And with that, thank you guys for tuning in to our first episode. We'll be back next week with our review of the first episode of The Chosen. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Rotten or Righteous ever. Next week, our special guest, Luke Taylor, will come aboard, and we're going to be discussing the first episode of Chosen. So if you want to watch it along with us, watch that before listening to the next episode. Thank you so very much. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Leave us a good review in the iTunes section. Uh, Leave us a comment. Like it. Share it on Facebook. Do whatever you can do to get the word out so more people can be uh, enjoying this content with you. That helps us, and hopefully it'll help you. 
Hopefully we brought a smile to your face and we'll see you all next week.